Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with two very special guests, Anargia Verdana, partner at Mavron, and Afton Vetri, co-founder and CEO of Modern Fertility. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Afton, you are back for round two, back by popular demand. But for those who didn't <laughs> listen to our first episode with, uh, with Tammy, why don't you describe briefly what Modern Fertility is and what insight it's predicated on? Yeah. So Modern Fertility is a women's health company focused on making fertility information more available to women earlier in life. So we take the same laboratory tests done in an infertility clinic, typically when a female or couple is having trouble getting pregnant, out of the clinic and make them available to women earlier in life. So we really started the company as a fertility information company. We felt like the conversation around fertility was very reactive as opposed to proactive. And so we knew that there were these better predictors of future fertility than just age alone. And so we set out to make that baseline information, that additional context as easy to access as as possible and support women and getting more information about what was going on in their own bodies so that they could use it to make the decisions that were right for them. Yeah. And we met when you were first uh, on deck, thinking about your next thing. Uh, Malay introduced us. And you've been thinking about, uh, I want you to describe your journey down the idea maze, because you've been thinking about this for quite some time, starting when you were at private equity. Talk a little bit about your journey, how you picked this idea out of all the ideas in, in health or women's health that you could have picked. Yeah. So I think going from zero to one in any company is, is really, really hard. And I think for anyone that comes from a consulting or finance background, especially you're constantly looking for all the reasons that your idea won't work <laughs> or all of the, the reasons that you shouldn't go about it. And so really finding something and having that aha moment that propels you enough to actually go and put all of your time, energy and life into starting it. It's a, it's a really big step. So. For me, uh, my introduction to the infertility space was back when I worked in, in healthcare private equity. And so um, my job at the time was to make an investment in sectors of healthcare that were interesting, growing, had some consolidation potential. And I ended up spending a good amount of time because of my personal interest in, in women's health. And within women's health, started spending more time around infertility. And seeing just this crazy kager and in, in growth rate in the space uh, in my work life and just feeling like, wow, I... I have exposure to this very unique information set that somehow none of my female friends were talking about. And so it was that experience. And then ultimately within the diligence process, uh, going into these infertility clinics and talking to women uh, who had never been told that fertility declined with age or had never been told that IVF wouldn't work for every single person uh, that really stuck with me. And so it wasn't until I ended up uh, moving out to to the Valley and, and focusing on a, a variety of, of different women's health startups that I was curious around my my own fertility and when to to get that baseline testing done. Um, but the the story I guess that I don't talk about as much is really having that piece of, of data around how hard it was to get that information compared with all of the other really hard and complicated things <laughs> about fertility and, and infertility. And my process, uh, I think around where when we met was actually 
going into an infertility clinic and shadowing for for a couple of weeks and shadowing literally in, in, in dozens and dozens of patient consults and talking to women and just sitting there and watching the workflows and understanding the pain points. And so a lot of my um, decision-making process was taking all of that information combined with my own personal journey and experience, combined with conversations with hundreds and hundreds of women about their, their own fertility experiences and trying to figure out like, what are we really trying to, to solve? And that's where the insight around information really being the best first step. And how can we start there? Uh, that That's kind of where the, the thesis yeah. came from. Did you consider doing like a one medical for... I considered so many different things. Yeah. <laughs> I think there were so many. I So with a finance background, I, I think a lot of what I tried to do was really, uh, it had to, the, the financial model uh, and the business model around what was happening had to work. Because if you're truly going to change a, a care paradigm and innovate within a, a field and redefine what care looks like, it, it has to be able to, to scale to a multi-billion dollar company that will change the, the world. And so, or that's the type of company that I wanted to start. And so uh, a huge part of my process was uh, not only considering it from a, you know, business financial model perspective, but from a, you know, user perspective of, you know, what is the care pathway and, and what will people want to consume here and what, what pain points are we really solving? And so through just so many of these interviews, what are we trying to optimize for? Did you find that the one medical model didn't make sense? from an economics perspective or what wasn't really solving like having your own clinics yourself. Well, I think when you think about the number of people that you can treat in a clinic, um, when we think about infertility today, there's less than 500 infertility clinics in the U S and there's less than 2000 reproductive endocrinologists. So when you are purely, you know, from a financial modeling perspective, thinking about, um, fertility specifically and the fact that it is this subspecialty, we need to be thinking about women's health and reinventing women's health with fertility as a core component of that. But to me, it was much more interesting to start from a point and access model where we could be affecting millions and millions of women as opposed to, to just the people that were coming through our doors as a starting point. I think that all of these models, like women's health needs a a lot of innovation. And there are so many different ways of going about this and approaching it. But I think with my background, um, the findings that I had, I was really excited to to start from what I felt was the biggest gap as a starting point. And we've been transparent about how our fertility hormone test is is the first product that we're using to help women understand more about their their own bodies. Awesome. And are you, Mavron is known for being a, having an exceptional consumer lens and you've done a lot of frontier stuff, a lot of D2C stuff in, in different industries, even enterprise as well. How have you thought about D2C and consumer within healthcare? Yeah. And I'll also say we're investors, proud investors in modern fertility. So always great to hear and rehear the modern fertility story as it continues to evolve. You know, I think that there's a couple different ways that we've looked at it. The consumer spend in healthcare is big and only rising. It's like 16% of GDP now for good or bad, and it's going up. There are numbers and numbers, actually, I think 20% or 40 million adult Americans who can't afford or can't access the much needed healthcare. So there's tremendous opportunity from a financial perspective, from a equity perspective, and from the perspective of really creating something that people need in this country and, and globally. And so we see that there's a lot of opportunity to invest in the space. The question after that for us as direct-to-consumer investors becomes, where are opportunities where people will pay out of pocket? 
as you know, the American medical system is run by a number of big power players, including insurance providers. And a lot of us are really closely tied to our insurance. And that prevents many people from wanting to pay out of pocket, from even having the habit of paying out of pocket. And so when we think about investing in the category, we think, where will people pay out of pocket? And then we bucket it into kind of two high level categories. One is general conditions. And that could be everything from women's health, gyne, to the primary care physician, to overall wellness. And then the other bucket is kind of chronic conditions. And that's everything from people living with diabetes, with cancer, with hypertension, obesity. And within these two buckets and within all the little subdivisions, we see it as multiple different verticals within which an investment opportunity or a business opportunity exists. And that's something like diagnostics within fertility. So how can you diagnose whether that's in the home or a four wall type business? That's how can you provide a marketplace where people can find these resources? It could be IOTs within healthcare. And then even some other interesting emerging things where people may pay out of pocket, which is more around holistic medicine, acupuncture, Ayurvedic medicine, Cairo massage, things like that. But it's really zoning in on where people will pay out of pocket and I think there are some categories that are starting to emerge to the top. Fertility certainly being one of them. Kids, people will pay out of pocket for treatment for their kids and a number of different things, including things like autism, Asperger's and other things that families want more support around and pets, which is still medical, but we see people pay out of pocket for pets. And then finally, the one I mentioned before, which is wellness and kind of the more holistic side of things that aren't fully integrated into the medical healthcare system yet, Ayurvedic, Cairo, acupuncture, things like that. Yeah. Ben Matthews assures me that there's going to be a multi-billion dollar company in the pet insurance space. There already is one. We're investors in it. It's called (laughs) Trupanion. I'm I'm way too late. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great comeback. I spent so much time around the pet industry and oh, animal health when I was in private equity. And I, I like dogs, but yeah. I am not like, I, I did not have the personal experience or Man. use case of, yeah. of pet insurance. Yeah. And it was just, it was fascinating. People but spend a I lot think of money. People spend a pets. lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if something happens, if your cat dies, you get something or like what? what is no, it? no. It's if your cat gets hurt or your dog tears their ACL An ACL surgery for a dog can be several thousands of dollars. And do you want your dog to live a happy, fulfilled non-torn ACL life. Dogs can tear their ACLs. Oh yeah. I had a friend whose dog had double ACL surgery. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so important? Uh, you mentioned that, that we look for the, where the customer pays out of pocket. Why is it so important that, that it comes out of customer's pocket as opposed to employers or payers or? Yeah. You know, there, there, it, it doesn't have to be customer paying out of pocket for us as D2C investors. We really want to look for companies that have the brand, the loyalty and the experience that sells directly to the consumer. We want regular people to say, I use modern fertility. I love modern fertility and insert any brand in there. Right. And we find that when the consumer is able to make that decision, the company then has all these advantages. They can acquire through these social channels. They can learn from their user quickly. They're not, they don't have to kind of go behind all these different walls of, let me get my insurance to approve it. Let me then submit this reimbursement. And then four weeks later, get the product. That being said, there are tons of business opportunities that are also within the insurance system. And, you know, you can talk to any healthcare investor who will invest D2C, but also beyond that, who'll say insurance is increasing in what they're covering, which is pretty cool. Some insurance companies are, and they will, some insurance companies will cover acupuncture and things like that. And maybe we will see more and more coverage of those things, which means that the DDC model will be a little shifted. The consumer may not pay out of pocket. I think modern fertility, you can use HSA or FSA dollars. Yeah. So things like that, you can use insurance based money to pay for it. 
but the brand, the vision, the story, that's all going to be controlled, hopefully by the company and by the founders and the team who can say, here's why we're adding this value to your life. And I don't think it necessarily precludes companies from approaching other types of channels. But I think that when you start as a company and you start with the ability to talk to your customers and build something, in our case, for her and have that continuous feedback loop, what you're able to to build and and just on a drastically different timescale is just it's it's so much different. It's it's better. And so I think, you know, there we should have more coverage for infertility. Having a baby in the US is not a right, it's a privilege. And so I, I think, you know, so fundamentally sad. yeah, fundamentally we're so pro coverage and we want there to be an evolution around how everyone is is thinking about these things. But in terms of how we can make the most impact today and create something, create a company that can have an even larger change, even on a, a policy level, like that's, it, it's the most effective place, in, in my opinion, for, for companies to start. But then I also think it's really important, and I know what we, we might get into this, that, that companies that are starting there really are building for the future and have the, the systems and architecture, security and compliance in place to be able to, to scale towards those goals of, of ultimate accessibility. Yeah. And I think there's some really interesting ways in which the payer can be involved, especially over time around incentives, right? If, if there's a world in which every, you know, 20 year old woman is getting her fertility tested, that could be something covered by insurance because then the insurance knows that there's a number of other benefits that come with her having that knowledge, being empowered with that knowledge early on in her life. Yeah, we think about, you know, reproductive health as a portion of your other health, but because the side effect of learning about your fertility is, is a, a part of reproductive health that the, the care pathway associated with that is a little bit less defined. But, you know, fundamentally, we, we do believe that having your reproductive health screening as uh, something that is as routine as a, a pap smear is something that women deserve. And so how can we continue to evolve uh, where we're starting today to, to meet those needs? Yeah. You mentioned regulatory. Is When do you get to a point as a company where you start to think about, can we actually influence the laws, basically? Like, do you, will you have lobbyists? Like, how do you think about that as a company? I think we need to, to raise our next round yeah. first. Um, <laughs> to hire lobbyists. Uh, yeah. And, and so I think that, I think that it really comes back to the, the intention of the founding team in some of these cases. And, and what are you really trying to do? And I think that ultimately for us, you know, the, the reason that we started this company is because we fundamentally believe that women have a right to access this information and we set out to make it as easy as possible. And so when we think about where our company exists in the ecosystem and that pathway, there, there's a whole product roadmap and, and success on that pathway means that it opens up our company to so many other alternatives. And so I think it really comes down to how teams are, are thinking about that evolution and, and just what access means. I think, you know, Carly, my co-founder and I say all the time, you know, we, we quit our job. Like the reason that we're spending our time doing this is, is to, to build something that is, is truly valuable. We have a, a neon sign in our office that says we trust women. And so every decision that we make is ultimately coming from that as a, a starting point. And so I think ultimately, you know, business models that are aligned with who the end customer is, like that combination is, is where it becomes really compelling. As consumer investors, we think a lot about the why now question specifically tied to shifting consumer behaviors, shifting cultural mindsets. And we believe that when these things shift, there's opportunities to create billion dollar businesses that impact millions and millions of people. And one of those shifts, or maybe a couple of those shifts, one is kind of feminism coming to the forefront in infertility in particular, but, but more around people being empowered with who they are and their rights 
tied to who they are. And there's a reason why every political candidate has healthcare and health related things as a part of their platform. It's something people care a lot about and they want to know how changes in policy and regulatory, like you were asking, Eric, will affect their lives and the lives of their loved ones. And, you know, in a time when people have access to information, unlike any other time before, people go to Dr. Google and they find out all these different things. And, the regulatory, the policies around it are at the forefront and people are thinking about how they can make sure they get access to what they need. Yeah. You mentioned having a business model aligned with your customers. What it would be a business model that's less aligned or where does it show up where the business model is, is not as aligned? Yeah. So I think that, you know, in the fertility space today, there's companies that are focused on, on lead gen. So let's say that I get paid by an end customer getting a treatment that might, they may or may not need, that may or may not be at the office that is ultimately aligned with their best interests. Like that as a company, I get paid for that lead, but as a user and as an end customer, like that might not be the best decision for me. And so I think there's a lot of different ways to to make money but really having a focus on you know what what is the best decision for her and how can we ultimately you know both both succeed when when building this they, out they get paid on lead gen or some companies do you get paid on we get paid on empowering women with information about their bodies and, and being today an, an unbiased source to al- allow them to, to have that information and understand more about their bodies so that they can use that to make the decisions yep. that are right for them. We also have all of these other components of our experience. So for example, um, women can choose to participate in research. It is entirely opt-in. It is an, uh, a secret term in our, our terms of service where magically we have big pharma on the back end. This is something where you users and our customers own their data. And with their permission, we use anonymized data to further women's health research. But I think tying in with these, you know, national movements and, and things that are happening around there needing to be more research in women's health, we're doing everything that we can to be a part of that and, and be, be a part of that movement. But it comes ultimately with the customer defining how they want to take, take part in that as opposed to us as a company mandating a certain direction. So what is the, uh, take over the world vision for, for modern fertility, <laughs> uh, take over the world in the nicest way possible or, or change the world. What, what does that look like if modern fertility achieves its you know true scale, true, true ambitions? Yeah. So today we're just staying focused on fertility, routine fertility hormone testing. We, we see a world where every woman has access to what's going on in her own body as it relates to reproductive health. So she can use that to, to make the decisions that are right for her. And I think that we have been transparent that this is the, the first step that we're, we're taking, but the behavior change and just the information and education around this is the, the starting point. So we're, we're very excited about uh, where we'll be going from there. Where could you go? Like what, what is a yeah. So I think that, you know, when a woman comes to us and is, is focused on this type of, of information and when we are building out our entire clinical team to, you know, customize different content and provide an unparalleled level of, of service and experience yeah. around where she is today, I think what that gives you is this incredible connection and relationship with a customer when she's just starting to to think about all of these decisions. And so for us, I, I think that there is, is are so many opportunities in women's health as you start to, to think about all of the decisions that you'll need to make, whether you want to have kids or not, as you continue to evolve through the, the care process. And so that just um, opens up a, a lot of other areas where we can provide 
provide more value. Yeah. And this might be a silly question, but are you, uh, is Modern Fertility, Nurix, Tia, Clue, are all these companies at scale trying to effectively do the same thing, be the like full stack solution for all women's health needs and just taking different go wet, you know, go to markets to get there? Or are they fundamentally trying to be, is that not the right way to look at the world? Yeah. So I think every company has a slightly different view on how they're going to change women's health and and reinvent care. And I think every company is kind of focused on a different portion of that today. And I think that all companies have a a slightly different path on how they're continuing to expand services as as they grow. Cool. So let's say that all of us are starting a a fund solely focused on women's health companies, women's health startups. Oh, exciting. Great for women's health. Yeah. We're coming up with a name, a, a brand, yeah. a logo, a request for startups, a thesis. Let's do it. An approach. First, how do we even educate the audience about how we'd slice the market, like the different types of companies or, sp- or subspaces that, that we would be considering that we think there could be big opportunities stemming from? I think it connects to some of the earlier buckets I was talking about. I think there's opportunity and kind of you can go horizontally and cover a number of different needs that she has. And that could be... What are examples of companies that might be in? From what I understand, Tia is going a little bit more horizontal and giving the customer, the patient or whatever you want to call them, the opportunity to have a one-stop shop for all of her needs. And that could be everything from UTIs, that could be migraines, like not specifically women-related things, or that could be a place to go have a conversation around good sexual practices or whatever it may be. And there's the optionality to go vertical, go deep in one specific thing, you know, be a full stack service that's doing fertility, IVF, egg freezing, embryo freezing, whatever that may be. So there's two different ways to look at it under that. The the interesting thing is that right now the companies you named are doing it and they're entering at many different points. There's everything from period tracking to fertility testing to a full stack IVF service and, and beyond. And if we were to look for this fund, I would look both horizontally and vertically, but also consider that a, a woman's needs is is well beyond her her reproductive life. Everything from hyperthyroidism, which is highly prevalent, or which is more prevalent in women than men, um, hormonal things that are related to menopausal women who are largely overlooked in today's market, uh, but probably have a lot of need for content, community, commerce, products and services that could serve them. So I'd really segment it in a number of different ways. I think that to answer your question, in terms of the fund, I don't think there would be any dearth of opportunities, of billion dollar opportunities to look at. Yeah. The way that I would really think it, I think when you're looking at um, you know, innovating in health and, and women's health specifically, it's really important to think about like as these companies scale, like how do you make money? I remember, you know, even in, in private equity when we were looking at um, dentistry and we were looking at how all the regulations and insurance and reimbursement was changing around dentistry and how the way that the private equity models in some cases, they were basically incentivizing clinics to just take out everyone's teeth and fill every cavity, even if it wasn't medically necessary. And so I think that when you start to to invest in health and really think about how these multi-billion dollar companies scale, it's really important to look at the business model and how how they're actually going to make money today over time. Like where where are those dollars coming from? And so I think that that that's kind of square square one. And then I think that the the second part, which has come into the view, uh, definitely over the, the past month is just the, the timeline that it takes to do that. And so I think, you know, we, we went through Y Combinator as well and, and did a lot <laughs> during the Y Combinator process. But when you look at you know, even parts of, of that, 
it, it takes longer for to do good research. I, I think there was just research that came out a, a few weeks ago that over half of billion dollar unicorn healthcare companies had not published one peer reviewed medical journal or, or piece published in one. And so I, I think what's really interesting there is that, you know, the peer reviewed process is, is pretty much the, the only one that we have today to let other scientists weigh in on what's happening, provide feedback and, and iterate from there. And so if, um, as an investment community, we're not giving the, the space or prioritizing or even mandating in some cases that we hold ourselves to that standard, then, then what, what are we going off of? So I think that, that uh, approach translates to timeline and in this amazing women's health fund it's a it's a really important component to keep in mind is just you know how our our health companies or companies that have a health component where if something screws up <laughs> or something gets screwed up it's it's impacting a, a a person as opposed to something that that might be just less impactful yeah. in in some other tech models and in someone's day to day so those are the the two kind of core tenants i would probably start yeah. with Afton, can I ask you a question based on the peer-reviewed stuff? In your experience as a founder in the space, are you seeing more companies that are scientific innovations that kind of require that peer review in order to, over time, be like a scientifically legitimate company? Or are you seeing more where they are repackaging existing things with different experiences or different UIs or different deliveries? Yeah, so I think Or what do you like more? (laughs) Yeah, so I think that, I mean, ultimately, what... What are you getting for a lot of these repackaged companies? Yeah. I think that, you know, access is a huge part of that. It's really important. No one should be arguing that. But then if you're going to be paying for something or even paying more for something, what's the, the reason that you're doing that? Like it should be better. I, I think that, well, it comes down to either there's a good brand that I, I trust yeah. or it's a better product. And so I think that, you know, in either case, you're innovating on something, you're innovating on the brand, you're innovating on the, the product itself, or you're, you're innovating on the the product in a way that's creating something yeah. new and and that's kind of the the medical innovation category that you you mentioned and so i think that uh, a lot of thinking about the defensibility and how all of those companies will evolve over time like let's let's play this out you know 10 years and and what are those companies competing on yeah and and your belief then would be that they're there is an opportunity to do that level of research within a venture scale timeline. Is that right? I don't, I, don't, I do believe, you believe that. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've been really interested in is, is whether companies that are now going after the IVF or egg freezing space can actually have product innovation so they can do it in a more cost effective, faster, less painful, less, less obstructive on the consumer's life way. Yeah, I think what's what's really important about the the egg freezing space is that largely I believe that there's a lot of innovation that needs to happen around the way that that process works. But I think that when you take shortcuts on parts of that process, you can ultimately be harming the end consumer because there are a lot of things in the egg freezing process specifically that matter more than cost. But to an end user, because the space is still relatively new, she might not be educated that, hey, if this procedure um, has a great brand and maybe is a couple thousand dollars cheaper, they are actually only doing egg freezing and not IVF. So there's no QC on the process. So because all of those eggs are being just frozen and not touched, I'm not getting the the egg free, the IVF as a part of that process. So I'm not 
not able to see on a equality on a you know weekly basis. And so when I'm locking up all of my eggs in the the future, um, I you know maybe there was a bad batch of reagents. Like maybe right. maybe something happened. And egg freezing is not a guarantee. It's it helps the odds, but it it's it's just the lens by which we're looking at that. And so I think when we're thinking about innovation, there when you're doing it in a, a fairly new field, there's just so many different lenses that we have to look at. And I, I think what's so important is to tie that back to the end customer and, and do that in a way that allows for innovation while still respecting the fact that these are, are medical decisions uh, yeah. that are being made along that, that timetable. And I remember, uh, Afton, you were helping me look at a company that was offering pregnancy tests, but it didn't have either a medical inno- innovation. Do you remember what I'm talking about? And they were just trying to be better, better marketed or like a better brand. And you said that that's not enough. Yeah. So for me, it's just, if you're going to put all of this time and energy into, to starting a company and going from, from zero to one, to me, I, I want to figure out how, how do we build a, a better pregnancy test? How do we interview a thousand customers and understand what, what could be better? And maybe the, the scientific, um, innovation aspect has, has reached its top, but the, the pricing aspect or the delivery component, like there's other aspects there. And so I think that, you know, when you, you look at all of these different areas, you can repackage something that exists today, but there's also the opportunity to, to innovate the level of innovation that has happened in, in women's health <laughs> compared to all of these other sectors. It just, it doesn't match. And there is so much room to spend that time and energy and making it better. And so to me, the best companies are combining something that's new, uh, with the accessibility component. And that, that to me, is just a, a more more compelling starting point. And I would add that brand is super duper important. Yeah. And if that experience is not better and compelling and great, people aren't going to keep coming back. So you, the brand may get them through the door, but they may not recommend it to friends or come back. And, and we really believe that that brand has to be there, has to be strong, has to be something that is connecting to the consumer, but also there has, there has to be other things behind the brand. Right. And what's unique to bu- building a brand in something like modern fertility that's different than building a brand in something like mattresses or, or sunglasses? or? Oh, gosh, a, a lot of things. I think that, you know, from the start... When we um, were were building this, I, I think that Anargia, your point around in something that people are going to be paying out of pocket for, they have to want to pay out of pocket. And so, you know, mattresses, there's no way, like if you want a new mattress, nobody else is going to pay for get it you for you. Nobody else <laughs> is going to get you a mattress. And also mattresses are like, it's questionable. Maybe they're optional for some people, but for the majority yeah. of us, we're, we're going to go, we're going to have a mattress. And the decision is like, okay, I'm going to have a mattress, going to have a mattress. Like what's the, the next level decision point. And so I think around fertility testing or fertility hormone testing, there are so many barriers to get to that decision. It's it's information change. And I, I think that a brand uh, at the beginning of that process for us was just crucial in making something that women actually wanted to be a part of. They wanted to consume because just telling something that this service existed and they should buy it, like that wasn't good enough. And so for us, it was a, a huge focus from the start of how to to build something that was, you know, our, our voices, your, your OBGYN that also happens to be your best friend and how we can, can build something that really takes that in from, from yeah. day one. I'd argue it's a lot harder to build a brand it's really in hard. a category <laughs> that people don't 
maybe know that much about or don't know that it's something that would enhance their lives. And in other categories like mattresses or suitcases or clothing, there's just this higher level of experimentation, rightfully so. It's okay if your suitcase sucks or your dress is too small or too big, but with something medical, the brand has to have so much trust, transparency, and those types of things take time. And and like you said, peer-reviewed research and those types of things to build. So we were obsessed with it in the early days and just that that right balance and, and something we're still iterating on. <laughs> I think it's it's a constant path, but What's the right mix of something that is is trusted, is medically sound? Um, I love scientific research. I, I read fertility papers on weekends. It's just like how I enjoy to spend my time. But I realize that, that that's not the majority. And so how do we take all of this information? The fact that we're reviewed in the New England Journal of Medicine a couple of weeks ago, which was awesome for for us. But you know, most people probably, like that's not going to be the, the number one reason that they, they purchase. And so how do you take all of these different things that you need to achieve and combine them into something that just feels like something that that I want for my life, which is ultimately the the end goal. Yeah. If both of you were uh, starting new companies for this fund, you were incubating companies in this fund, <laughs> and you had any skill sets imaginable, so you weren't limited to to your own, which are extensive, what business might might both of you start? Or either of you start? I would start. So I'm obsessed with water. Um, it's my other obsession uh, beyond fertility. I started a water quality testing company in high school, and I just down to the tap water in our office and, and house. I'm I'm obsessed, and I think that it's it's such a a core part of of life. And so it's my my other. This is purely out of like self interest, um, but it's uh, it's my other so passion point. What would the company be? Or product be? Oh gosh, I haven't gotten that far no yet. No business plan I yet. Think that, uh, <laughs> no <laughs> business You're plan busy yet. right now. Yeah. Um, but to, to me, I, I think yeah, for, fertility is where I spend all waking hours. But something there are other compelling areas that just very few people have started to to think through. And I think in in women's health, I mean we it's not an ideas problem. We keep a, just a running list of all of the areas where they are today and and how they need to be better. And so I I think the the question is not if it's, it's when. How about you, Narya? Wow. So many things are interesting. And the beauty of being an investor is I get to hopefully look at all of them and invest in a couple of them. Yeah. I think the holistic medicine wellness category is super duper interesting and especially over the last couple of years, maybe last half decade, people are realizing that we are not isolated medical incidents and isolated medical dots on the chart. We are a changing line graph that's constantly evolving based on different inputs to our life. And that's our mental health, our the things we eat, our physical health, all tied into one thing. And so a uh, medical system that approaches the human body in this holistic way and is able to understand the content community commerce pieces, whether that's services or products or information that can build a big venture scale business, but does so in a way that's more holistic rather than I go to the doctor, I have one issue, solve the issue, move on with my life. Um, and then I'll, I'll say, I'll say one more thing, um, because I'm cheating at this. One of the verticals we look at within the healthcare system is, is fintech or finance and a company that is really able to be innovative, have an innovative business model that increases the access of equitable medical care to more people is something that's truly compelling. And that could happen in a number of different ways, whether that's changing how insurance is provided, changing motivations for people to stay healthy for longer, or even approaching it in the way that going 
going initially to a general practitioner is more expensive. So why don't you have a technology based AI system that triages for you and you go directly to the specialist and don't have to have that little chunk of cost up front. So number of different ways to do that, but things that can overall reduce the cost are, are super interesting to me. Are there any companies you've seen that are, I think Tia was trying to do that with their first app that they released, but any companies you've seen that are doing either of those things? Yeah. So the company that you mentioned, we had talked about, I think before Rupa Health, uh, the founder is Thara Vishwanathan building kind of, she can probably say it better than me, but this marketplace around a go-to brand for finding different wellness holistic things, whether that is Ayurvedic solutions for your IBS or whatever it may be. So I think that's an interesting one. And um, any in the fintech? Yeah. There's a couple of people going after fintech. I think... Parasail is one that's allowing customers and doctors to have the benefit of reducing medical debt. So let's say you owe $10,000 in something, they'll, they'll figure out a way to actually get the money paid in a fraction of the amount to the doctor versus having it go to collections and the doctors or the clinics get nothing at all. So it benefits the patient. They don't get it on their credit report as a ding, but it also benefits the clinics and the hospitals because they get paid more than they would if it went to collection. So there's a couple folks looking at it, but I think the, the system just needs a, needs a pretty big overhaul in order to make things affordable. After I'm curious to go deep a little bit, because one thing you think a lot about is business model. And how should I, or this fund be thinking about sort of like, yeah, there's one medical for X, people just trying to one medical by different segmentation, you know, women's health is TIA, musculoskeletal is, is, um, motion, motion which you're an investor in, um, there's a bunch of different there's diabetes. I think Hen- Henrik, uh, our friend Henrik is working on this. And then there's sort of NERCs for X sort of on-demand uh, delivery. And then there's at-home diagnostics. Um, and you can apply that to different verticals. W- w- Are there any rules or frameworks that we should think about which approach works better for which sub-segment or which vertical? Or how should we be thinking about business models and, and trade-offs? Yeah, I think that, that that's a really good question. And I think that, you know, at the, the core of everything, starting to think about all of these things with really a, a brand first, how could a, a brand that women trust uh, or the end consumer trust in all of these verticals allow for more innovation and more access within all of these spaces? And so I think that that's something that, you know, really thinking about the fundamental basis of that across all of these new models for care is is a, a really important starting point. And I think that really empowering the end customer to make the best decision, like how how is this actually better for the world? Like how will the world be a better place if I fund this company to, to do this? What's the end game and how how are they getting there? And I, I think that, that that lens is is really important and will will ultimately be a, a hopeful you know guiding principle when you think about all of the different ways and needs for innovation, but but how all of those play out. And is this business model that you settled on what you first started with or how did that evolve over time? Yeah, that's a great question. So it is not, I I would say that I started with a lot of different business models. I built out so many different approaches around the financing component, around um, even the clinic component, around testing. And uh, I went into EMRs and patient health records and just every single pain point that I could identify within, you know, all of of fertility and and infertility. And I I think, you know, I, I thought deeply about each of those angles and ultimately, how they would play out and how we would be helping the end customer as a venture back business and, and all of those models, how would we be changing the game? And so I, I think for, for us coming back again to education as a, a starting point that is still 
to, to me, the, the yeah. biggest gap in the, the area where there's just, you can touch the, the most number of, of people in a, a really defining way by, by yeah. starting at that point. I think the business model question is so important though, because the current medical system has so many perverse incentives to, get the customer to pay for a number of different things. And it's not always doing right by, by the customer or the patient. And as we think about new companies that can be built, that can be billion dollar companies, I think thinking about how they can win the right way. That's one of our Mavron values actually is win the right way is, is how can they do that without being predatory on the customer while doing the right thing for the customer it is an amazing question. And maybe it's a straightforward business model. Sell them something that gives them education. Don't build them for additional tests and this and that and that and this, but it's, it's interesting to think about a lot. Yeah. I think scientific innovation as a part of that too. I mean, that's something that, that I, you know, deeply care about. How are we bringing this to the, the next level? Um, and, and really furthering research in that way. And I think that if, and then if you are innovating in some respect, making sure that you're doing that in a way that ultimately leads to, to net benefit from your end customers. So making sure that you are going through the regulatory or publication or just, you know, whatever process it might be to, to have the right checks and balances in place as a, you know, partial tech company, you're, you're moving really quickly. You're getting all of that pressure, but understanding that it's just, you, you can't cut corners in, in these types of models. And you mentioned EMR is, uh, are there any spaces where we would not want to invest in because you're too early, too late, too hard, um, or just not a believer right now. EMR maybe being one for for some people. That's a that's a great question. I think that I think it depends on like an EMR, like what's it an EMR for? I think for a lot of fertility clinics, they're um, they hold their data as a very prized possession. And so if I'm building an EMR from a fertility clinic, ultimately understanding their incentives, are they really, even if I have the best EMR in the world and it's going to change all of their workflows and make it amazing, but I have the the data at the end of the day, am I going to make one sell with that the best product in the world? And so I think, again, back to the business model, <laughs> even if it's the best EMR and it's going to catapult research forward, if you don't have customers, you're not getting anywhere. And so I think, you know, deeply for, for all of these things, there's just so many areas of diligence that you have to, to go through. Yeah, you just never uh, know. yeah, you just never, never know. And I think that even if the, the model, the, the end consumer is the, the customer, there are still so many other uh, stakeholders in the place where at least you have to have the strategy for how you're approaching them. So, you know, for us, it's just how, how are we going to build credibility with OBGYNs and reproductive endocrinologists? And maybe, you know, when we went for our, our seed funding round, we, we hadn't necessarily done that yet, but we had a path and we knew exactly what we were going to do. And it was something that was top of mind. And so I think for a lot of these different models, just making sure from a diligence perspective, you understand who the stakeholders are and what they're reactions are and that the company at least is starting to to think yeah. about some of those things because I think in, in healthcare it can get really messy and complicated really messy. because and the incentives are is. yeah 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 no great fund is complete without its anti-portfolio so <laughs> let's say we started two or three years ago so you can only pick you know seed to series b no obviously you know big companies what other companies would be in our anti-portfolio besides modern fertility which we're all bitter and resentful about so bitter and resentful <laughs> uh, we're not we're not having done what's a company that we're, we're that we think is going to be really big it exists right now seed through b that we wish we invested in 
I'm going to throw one out there. It's a Mavron portfolio company, but I'm going to say this fun missed it. Two chairs, the number two chairs. Um, I, I did miss that one. That is in our anti-portfolio. We talked about it, yeah. There you go. Anti-portfolio, two chairs. Number two chairs, direct-to-consumer mental health brand. Another category that I think people will pay out of pocket for and both on the clinician and on the patient side, enormously better than the current fragmented trust lacking experience. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know that I love RDMD yeah. with Nancy, oh, uh, Nancy Yu. Awesome. She's just so, so great. And I think that what they're doing for rare diseases with a patient centric approach is just, is, is just a really amazing approach that considered all of the different stakeholders within the process and was just so, so thoughtful when, when getting to that point. So I think Nancy's, Nancy's great and it's an example of a, a model that um and, and Nancy also we have very similar backgrounds in, in uh well twenty three and me, but also uh, private finance, equity. private yeah. equity. And so just um hearing her thought process of how she innovative innovated and evolved to get to that point uh has just been an, an awesome journey to to watch. Yeah. For people who want to learn more, continue the conversation, uh you know, find you at Mavron and Arya and then yeah. learn more about modern fertility. Where can you point them to slash any last plugs? Maybe I know we'll start with you. Yeah, feel free to email me if you're building anything in the direct-to-consumer health space. Like I mentioned, we're looking at a number of different categories and really think the the time is ripe. Consumerization of healthcare, the communities that are being created around it. I mean, after I, th- I thought you said something great earlier. You said this was a topic no one was talking about. And it was hard to go to your friend and say, hey, I'm experiencing fertility challenges. The internet has changed those things so much. There's all these communities. And so, hey, if you're building anything in the direct-to-consumer healthcare, drop me a line. I'm anargia at mavron.com. That's A-N-A-R-G-H-Y-A at mavron.com. Perfect. Thanks, Eric. And I love chatting about all things fertility. <laughs> my my email is afton at modernfertility.com. I love hearing from customers. I love hearing from potential customers telling me all the reasons that they didn't buy. Uh, and then it helps us learn more. We are hiring for so many different roles right now. And so if you're looking to work for a mission-driven company that's trying to, to redefine women's health, where we love to, to chat with you. Uh, but yeah, just really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Awesome. And I'm saying this as a consumer, sorry, not as an investor, but take the modern fertility test. There's really no reason not to. Yes. It was It was a pretty big life moment for me and I recommend everyone to just take it. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been a great episode. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 